We have uh, gotten hold of our reporter Mbali Tetani, who is following uh, proceedings at the Zonda Commission. What happened before this recess? Yes, that's right, um, Sakina. Pumla has just taken us through um, some of her testimony here at the commission. And she's basically been saying that uh, while she was uh, acting DG uh, within the department, she was stripped off at about 72% of her functions. And we saw her also get very emotional. And that's just before we went to our break here. And she says that she was ripped into scars uh, and tortured uh, by the former Minister of Communications, Faith Mutambi. And she says that she even relived some of her traumas. She couldn't even sleep. She also says that she also had panic attacks. And this was at the hands of the former Communications Minister, a Minister Mutambi. And she says this, this was basically, she was being made unbearable. She, she couldn't work in a very uh, healthy environment at the time because she says that at the time the minister just wanted to cheat the state at all costs. She says that the functions of um, some of the work that she does uh, within the department, such as finances and the procurement processes, were also stripped and removed from her portfolio at all costs. She says that she was sidelined and she says that under work, like working under those times was just made hell. And uh, there are many applications uh, flying around uh, to this particular commission. If you could perhaps just in a nutshell give us a sense of who wants to do what. Um, Sakina, we've seen applications coming in as well um, from um, AAJ Gupta. He has said that he would like uh, to cross-examine Feki Mentor as well as um, the uh, former um, Deputy Finance Minister and Policy Jonas. We've seen um, Lakela Kawunda has also filed. We've seen the two Hawks officials have also been implicated. They've filed those applications. And, um, and uh, Justin Bonda has said that they will set aside Wednesday uh, to listen to these applications. Very interesting. And uh, anything else noteworthy is uh, fake, um, I'm saying fakey, is uh, Pumla Williams uh, going to continue for the rest of the day or what is the plan? Yes, that is right, Sakina. She is back inside now and she's going to continue with the testimony. All right, uh, we're going to leave it there. And uh, that is because, of course, uh, that session uh, is resuming right now as we speak. So Mbali Tetani needs to get back to that. Let's head back now to the State Capture Commission of Inquiry. And Pumla Williams is back. Of my torture, which I had thought would never, ever have to come back. I found myself having those facial twitches, which came as a result of torture. I found myself having to go through those panic attacks at night where you wake up shivering, thinking you, you had a cell being open, and you, you, you then don't fall asleep immediately after that. You think they are coming, they are coming, and they are coming, and they don't come. And, and in the morning, you, you, you then wake up and you have to go to work. And you get to the office, you can't tell anyone this is what you are going through. I had those panic attacks which even a car in the street when it was, you know, a hood would just trigger it. And all those symptoms, chairperson, they had already gone because I had to go through medication and everything. But I found myself slipping through to that situation where I had to get the medication again. And, and that's the experience that I had thought was sealed in my heart. It would never have to be reopened. But 
Little did I realize that it will be opened by the very same people who call themselves comrades, the same people who claim to be from the ANC that I was from also. Uh, and they are the ones who did this to me. Uh, I think I was almost shattered. Um, but, Chairperson, as I said, that the reason I withdrew my retirement, mm-hmm. uh, I had to ask myself a question, how did I manage the torture and not to sell and ended up being sentenced to seven years? What is it? And I think, Chairperson, I came with one conclusion that the reason I couldn't be sell out is because I was so passionate with what I was struggling for. And I was also accepting the fact that these are not my friends, these are the boys that are coming to torture me. Uh, but in the case of, 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 of public service, I had to accept that this is not a minister, this is an enemy. That's what really helped me. I don't think that woman was interested in serving the people of South Africa. I don't think that woman was interested in preserving the resources of this country. And, and that's why I then said that I will be failing the people of South Africa if I allow, allow the thief to get away with it. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Ms. Williams, you gave notice of the withdrawal of your early retirement, uh, as I have it at page 60 on the 5th of September. And then if you go over the page to page 61, that appears to be an acknowledgement of receipt of the withdrawal of your retirement from Mr. DiPoco. Is that correct? That's correct, Chairperson. And could you please read into the record what he says at paragraph 2 of that uh, acknowledgement of receipt of the withdrawal of your retirement? The last line says, your continued dedication to the work of GCIS is appreciated. If I may then go back to your correspondence with the minister. Because as I have it in the chronology, you put in the notice of early retirement. You then withdraw it a matter of days later, and that is acknowledged on the 5th of September 2016 by Mr. DePoco. Is that correct? That's correct, Chair. Your, your letter of grievance to the minister, which we looked at a moment ago, which is at page 39.1, is then dated later in September. It's the 27th of September 2016. Yeah. Is that correct? The, the one that's dated, it's, it's 40, page 40? No, 39.1 should be two pages back. And that, as I have it, is your letter to the minister. That's correct. After the early retirement and withdrawal. Yeah. Is that correct? That's right. And this is the one we were looking at before the adjournment. Okay. Will you take up the issue of redundancy? 70-odd percent of your functions have been removed and it was done so without consultation. Is that correct? That's correct. And then if you go over the page to page 40, you have Minister Mutambi's, as I read this document, response to your letter. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Could you tell us over the page at page 41 the date of that document from Minister Mutambi? It's on the 5th of October, 2016. At paragraph 1, on page 40, she deals with 
what she thought was your departure from GCIS. Can you take us through what she says there? I have noted the contents of your letter dated the 27th of September 2016 on the above subject. I am surprised to receive your grievance after having considered your letter of termination of services with GCIS dated 31st of August, which I directed the acting DG to accept. That appears not to have happened. I didn't. Do you know why? Chairperson, I had already withdrawn my early retirement. In fact, I didn't even resign as she seems to be understood because my notice was a notice to apply for the early retirement. I did not resign. I don't know what was she talking about. Ms. Williams? So she, I'm sorry. So she may have, uh, she may have uh, understood your notice of early retirement as uh, meaning that you were resigning. Yes, Chairperson, and probably she even bought a champagne. And Thank you. Ms. Williams, at paragraph two of the Minister's letter. I'm sorry again, Ms. Hofmeyer. If, if you resign, and you, if you occupy the position of Deputy Director General, and you resign, is supposed to accept your resignation to the extent that one needs to talk about an acceptance of resignation. Is it um, the DG? Is it the minister? Is it the president? Who, who is it? It's supposed to be the director general, not her. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Paragraph 2 on page 40. The minister deals with her reasons for stripping you of 70% of your functions and ensuring that you were, in essence, and these are my words, excommunicated from the reporting line between the CFO and the then acting DG of the time. Who was the CFO at the time that these functions were removed from you? It was Mr. Zueli Momeko. Is he the same Mr. Momeko whom you testified about on Friday, having bullied the supply chain management um, representatives within GCIS in August 2014 about the payment to TNA Media for the SABC breakfast? Yes, Chairperson, it's the same person. And as I read paragraph two, and you'll tell me if I'm incorrect, the minister is grounding her decision to take these functions from you in Treasury Regulations 2.1.1, 2.1.2, and 2.1.3. Is that correct? That's correct, Chair. What did you make of her explanation based on these regulations for taking 70% of your functions away? Chairperson, I think the Minister doesn't even seem to understand that those Treasury regulations have got a subsequent documentation that Treasury provided, which is, a, is called a CFO handbook. It goes to explain the, the essence of what the Treasury regulation is saying, that it seeks to ensure that the accounting officer of a department has a line of sight 
with the budget that he or she has been entrusted with. And in our case, we had that line of sight as prescribed by National Treasury. And it was in the form of a budget committee. The Director General, on a monthly basis, without fail, he would convene a CFO together with the three DDGs and engage. It was not even a, a, a part of the management meeting, but it was a separate dedicated to discuss the finances. So there was a line of sight as uh, expected by the PFMA. Ms. Williams, I note from paragraph two of the minister's letter that she doesn't refer to clause 3.2.9 of the Treasury regulations. If you go back uh, to page 39, you will see that at page 39, when Mr. DiPoco advised you of this rearrangement of your functions, he said that he had been directed by the minister in terms of clauses 2.1.2 and 3.2.9 to require this direct engagement between himself and the CFO. Do you know why the minister omitted clause 3.2.9 from her letter uh, at page 40? I don't know, Chair. Do you know what clause 3.2.9 of the Treasury regulation says? I would have to be reminded. Indeed, and maybe if you will permit me, I'll do so. Uh, regulation 3.2.9 says an internal audit must be independent with no limitation on its access to information. Ms. Williams, on what basis could that have been a reason to remove your, your functions from you? Chairperson, maybe I should even have said that. I think yesterday, the other day when I was presenting, the chief internal auditor had been removed by Mr. Manyi. It's one of the first functions uh, that he decided to take and, and be responsible for the media buying and the internal audit. So at this point, the internal audit was no longer reporting to me. It was reporting to Mr. Manyi. So I, I would imagine that probably they picked up that they made the mistake and that's why they didn't make reference to it. Thank you. If you go over the page to page 41, this is the second page of the minister's letter. At paragraph 4, she deals with your concern about the redundancy that had uh, now resulted pursuant to her instruction that all of these functions be removed from you. And she records there, and I quote at paragraph 4, on the part of redundancy, it cannot be correct that the changes have resulted in, in the redundancy of your position because your conditions of service have not been negatively affected. However, you will agree with me that, the fi that financial management and supply chain management are core functions of the chief financial officer. Could we break that up into two parts? That section before the however, what do you make of the minister's contention that this wasn't an issue of redundancy because your conditions of service had not been negatively affected? Chairperson, the response by the minister actually shocked me because it has no regard whatsoever of the taxpayers' money. To her, it's not a problem to continue to pay me for doing almost like 30% of the work that I was being paid, and to her, it, it's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We haven't tempered with your salary, but you can continue doing less with 
because it's not her money, it's, it's the taxpayer's money, and that's what shocked me. And then she goes on in the second part of that sentence to solicit an agreement from you that the um, financial management and supply chain management are core functions of the chief financial officer. Do you agree with her and did you agree with her that those functions should no longer appropriately be reporting to you? Chairperson, I don't agree because I don't think Minister, together with head acting DG, took the trouble to understand how the organization is structured. It was not about CFO, it was not about supply chain, it was a whole suite, which is how we were structured. And if they had bothered themselves to consult me, I probably would have explained it to them that that those functions don't strictly fall within the regulation that they are quoting. And secondly, it is not possible, it's not correct that the CFO is not accountable to the accounting officer because at the time, from 1998, the CFO has been accounting to the DG. So the whole thing, you could see that it's, it's, it's just an attempt to get this supply chain and the finances to be in the hands of somebody that they can manipulate. And Mr. Ho Ms. Hofmeyer, just one more clarification. You were asked, Ms. Williams, for your comment on Minister Mutambi's paragraph 4, where she said that the changes had not affected your conditions of service and your response was limited to uh, the fact that you said she seemed not to have any concern that you were being paid a full salary for doing 30% of the duties attached to your post. Uh, what do you say about uh, her assertion that the changes did not affect your conditions of service? Thank you very much, Chair, for bringing me back. I think I did say, attach my letter of appointment uh, which I did point out that it changes my conditions of employment uh, because my letter dated the 8th of May 2009 had the whole suite of these things. So it's necessarily it was changing my conditions of employment. Thank you. Ms. Williams, if we can return to your statement then at page 9 of Exhibit F1. Ms. Williams, at paragraph 32 on that page, you talk about uh, an event in July 2016 where you were invited to an interview by Minister Mutambi in her office on the 14th of July. Please can you take the chair through those events? <coughs> Chairperson, I received a correspondence from the Minister's office uh, where they were inviting me for an interview of the post of the deputy of, of the director general, um, yeah. And if you go to page 42 of Exhibit F1, is that the invitation you received? Yes, Chairperson, that's the one. 
And what was your response to that invitation? Chairperson, what I, I indicated is that, firstly, I had not applied for the post. At that point, I had not applied. Secondly, I have never been invited for an interview by a chief of staff. Uh, the way I understand human resources in the GCIS, the head of human resources is the one that will invite you. So necessarily I then responded to say I have not applied and I am not interested in the, in the, in the, in, in the invitation. And to your knowledge, was that interview process ever concluded and an appointment made? I don't know. All I know is that the post is still vacant and the GCIS Human Resources, which I was responsible for human resources, was never ever contacted. So nobody knew about this whole uh, attempt for these interviews. Human Resources was not responsible. I don't know what happened to that interview process. Did you get to know whether there were any other candidates who were invited to interviews uh, at the same time or more or less around that time for the same position? In fact, Chairperson, I can even say, when, when, when I, before I even responded, I did phone HR and they were blank. They were not aware of anything. So I don't even know who, was, who applied, who shortlisted, who the candidate was, and I don't know anything about that. But all I know is that the post is still vacant now. Um, how was your relationship with Minister Mutambi around the time of this invitation? It was strained. She was not interacting with me at all. She was interacting with the acting director general. Well, Ms. Hoffman will tell me if it's something she is still coming to. I just find it strange. If um, you have a situation where you have a strained relationship, she invites you for an interview for promotion, but and nobody else is invited, uh, is shortlisted or will be interviewed for the position. On the face of it, leave out the question of whether proper procedures are followed, it appears that you are being offered an opportunity to be the only candidate. Do you understand what I mean? I don't know whether you want to comment on this line of thinking that I'm having at the moment. Chairperson, that's precisely why I didn't apply, because I had strained relations. Mm. I wasn't quite sure how she proposes to work with me. At that time, she was not even interacting with me. So I think that's, that's basically what my view was, that I don't see why I should be applying for this post. Mm. Yeah. And, and you never got to know what the reason behind was for you being the only person being invited to an interview and uh, no one else? Chairperson, I don't know whether there were other people. Yes. All I know is that I got a letter. It may be that they did have other people, I don't know, but human resources also did not know. Oh, but but did, did you say that the normal procedure 
would be that the Human Resources Department would know of other candidates. Yes, Chairperson. Yes, okay, thank you. Thank you. In relation to that process for advertising, Ms. Williams, uh, I referred you earlier to the regulations, the public service regulations that talk about advertisements for posts within the public administration. Uh, do you understand that those uh, advertisements have to take place in an open and transparent manner? And do you have details about what must happen in the advertising uh, process that you can enlighten us on? Chairperson, the way I will explain it the way we, we do it currently in the GCIS. When a post becomes vacant, we advertise it in the main newspapers, which is prescribed, and when the advert closes, we then appoint a selection committee, which then processes all the applications and try and shortlist the ones that are close enough to the requirements. And on the basis of that, the chairperson of the evaluation committee will then decide who are the three that will then be interviewed. But there's generally a prior setting up of these structures. Once the advert is out, the evaluation committee is appointed in writing and the, pro and the panel that will interview is also signed off. It is a panel that gets signed off. So that whole process, I wasn't aware of it. And the, the, even at a director general level, the human resources in GCIS or in the department participates in that shortly. It, it ensures that the ministers set up an evaluation committee because even there at a DG level, there should be an evaluation committee, even if it's the same committee that ends up interviewing. It, gets, it has to be appointed formally and then they, they agree on the shortlisted candidates and then they invite. That whole secretariat process is done by the head of HR. Uh, and, make, and also on the day of the interviews, in terms of the pro procedure, the head of HR sits and becomes a scriber for those interviews. And in this particular case, it was not done that way. Um, I don't know whether uh, you, one can speak of headhunting somebody within a, a department. Is it not that you are being headhunted? And if you are headhunted, do those procedures that you have just said, do they apply? Chairperson, even if you are headhunted, as the process as I know it, you can't be headhunted alone. There should be some kind of a process, and human resources normally drives that process. It will headhunt maybe three or four candidates and then put them into a, 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 a shortlisted, but the committee still should exist, and the committee that interviews still exist, should still exist, and the head of HR should form part of the secretariat of that process. Oh, I thought that uh, the concept of headhunting, where it does apply, it's where a minister or whoever is the appointing authority or DG is allowed to just look for somebody and identify that person and um, dispense with um, various procedural issues, requirements, because maybe that person is, uh, is uh, 
is uh, very suitable and maybe there is no one else that seems uh, available to meet the requirements of the post or something like that. But you are, you are saying even if you had hunt, those procedures must still be complied with. Yes, Chairperson, if I may say also, the condition for you to do the headhunting, you must have started with the normal advertising, open it up to the market, shortlist, and you're not getting a suitable candidate, and you can then, which is what happened with Mr. Dipoko. So you, you must have completed that process, and then you can then headhunt. You can headhunt one or two, but yeah. still there should be a panel okay. that interviews. Thank you. Chair, just to be of assistance to close off this aspect, at uh, page 162 of uh, Exhibit F1 is the relevant Regulation 65 of the Public Service Regulations that deals with advertising. And consistent with the testimony that we've heard from Ms. Williams, and I'll just highlight a few examples. Regulation 65.1 says, an executive authority shall ensure that vacant posts in the department are advertised as efficiently and effectively as possible to reach the entire pool of potential applicants, including designated groups. It then goes on over the page at 162 sub 4 um, of Regulation 65 to record that an executive authority shall advertise any other vacant post as a minimum within the department, but may also advertise such post in the public service locally or nationwide. Uh, Ms. Williams, is that consistent with your understanding of the process? That's correct. Thank you. If we can then return to page 9 of your statement. And Ms. Williams, I'm happy to announce that we are basically at the end um, and just in advance of the lunch break. Ms. Williams, you record at paragraph 33 uh, the change in the ministers in April 2017, um, and you've already given evidence that after the appointment of Ms. Lordlaw in the position of Minister of Communications, you were reinstated. Is that correct? That's correct, Chair. What did Minister Lordlaw do in relation to your outstanding requirement to be compensated at level 16 for the period that you were acting cabinet spokesperson? Chairperson, one of the first things that I did um, was to also raise that there were these matters that were outstanding and she approved and then I was compensated according to the Public Service Commission. At paragraph 34, you refer to a request that you received from Minister Lordlaw in relation to Mr. Dipoko and Mr. Momeko, could you tell us about that request? When Minister Mtambi was transferred to the DPSA, she then wrote to the new minister, Minister Lozo, requesting that the two officials be transferred, Minister Mr. Donald Dipoko and also Mr. Zueli Momeko, made a request that they be transferred. In fact, one was to be transferred and the other one was to be seconded with immediate effect, which I did the paperwork to get them to be transferred to the DPSA. Ms. Williams, what I envisage to be, um, well, my penultimate and then my final question. At the bottom of page nine, you talk about the period of time for which you have acted as DG of GCIS. How long has that been? 
I think when I was calculating, I even shocked myself also. It came to about 58 months uh, acting. That was subtracting the period of Donald Dipoko. In total, in the six years, I have been acting for 58 months.